We're approaching the end of chapter 4 of Philippians, and Paul begins to wind things up. And so we turn to a section that's called in, in my book here, Thanks for the Gifts, for Their Gifts. Would you stand with me if you, if you can? And uh, we'll read those together, starting verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I think of verse 13 as kind of a bottom line for this section. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's something to think about and recite to yourself for the week ahead. The word of the Lord. Thank, Thank you, you. Gail. Yeah, just a little background here. Um, really, uh, at heart, this letter is a letter of thanks to the Philippian church for their ongoing care and concern for Paul and his needs. And and at this point, he's you know talking about you renewed your concern for me. They had sent a gift to him, a, a monetary gift. Uh, it had been delivered by Epaphroditus. And he was remembering that and recognizing ultimately that this is God's provision for his life at this point, for whatever needs he might have been experiencing. Um, But it's also interesting that he's basically saying here, even if the gift hadn't come, I'd be okay. I'd be content. God takes care of me. Right? That's what he's saying here. And... So we're going to talk a little bit about contentment this morning. But I would tell you that I believe contentment can be this kind of elusive thing. Um, And I think the following that I'm going to share with you, it's a song. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Any number of artists have done it. In fact, um, the title of the song is My Elusive Dream. Do you remember that song? Um, To me, it's a sad song, and it's a song about discontent. And and here are the words. It says this, You followed me to Texas. You followed me to Utah. We didn't find it there, so we moved on. Then you went with me to Alabama. Things looked good in Birmingham. We didn't find it there, so we moved on. I know you're tired of following my elusive dreams and schemes, for they're only fleeting things. My elusive dreams. You had my child in Memphis, then I heard of work in Nashville, but we didn't find it there, so we moved on. To a small farm in Nebraska, to a gold mine in Alaska, we didn't find it there, so we moved on. I know you're tired of following my elusive dreams and schemes, for they're only fleeting things, my elusive dreams. Now we've left Alaska because there was no gold mine, but this time only two of us moved on. 
And now all we have is each other and a little memory to cling to. And still you won't let me go on alone. I know you're tired of following my elusive dreams and schemes. For they're only fleeting things, my elusive dreams. You hear the discontent in that? And on and on and seeking for that which never satisfies. Elusive really is a key word here. And fleeting dreams. Well, before I go on, I do want, let me say this. There are some things in our lives we should be discontent about. Um, we are, we, first of all, we should be content in Jesus Christ. We should be content with our possessions and our place. But we are not to be content in many of the areas of our spiritual lives. There should be a holy discontent in this area. We, we always should be, be striving for Christ-likeness. It's a pattern of growth that should be continuing in our lives till the day that we stand before Christ and we hear Him say, Well done, now good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. We should be content with what we know about God. Isn't there something more to learn? There should be. We need to be striving to study the Word of God so that we can know Him more and more. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 10 of Philippians, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And we should be discontent with what we've done for Jesus. We should not rest on our laurels. You know, Paul had done... We look at Paul and look at all that he'd done as a missionary. But he wasn't satisfied. He was going to keep going. He wanted to do more. He wasn't content with what he'd done in service to Jesus to this point. But on the other side of that, there are areas of our lives where we should be content. And to be discontent in these areas can lead to unhappiness, envy, wrong priorities. These are the things that we would put in the category of needs or wants. That's the areas where we find ourselves being discontent so often. And we live in a culture that I think encourages discontent. Just so much of our advertising is all about creating some sort of discontent in our lives so that we want or need what that particular person or company or whatever is advertising. I think I've shared this illustration with you before. The guy that wants the new computer system goes to the store, buys it, He's driving home in his convertible with all these boxes in the back seat, looks up and sees a billboard with a newer, later model, and his countenance drops. Now I need that one. And has even got the other one home yet. I don't think God is pleased with that sort of discontent. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. it I think it's Charles Swindoll that said, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I don't know. 
Are we? Yeah, not in our culture, we're not. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free, 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 free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He's making a point right there at the end. Never will I leave you or never will I forsake you. And we're going to talk more about really where contentment is or should be. The Greek word for content that appears in verse 12 of this passage this morning is used only this once in the New Testament. Now, the word content was used by the Stoics of Paul's day. Seneca often spoke about how a man must be self-sufficient. In other words, in myself, I'm self-sufficient, and I will be content with that. The Stoics believed that contentment was the highest of all virtues. They believed mankind must not look to anyone or anything else other than self in order to be happy or content. And Paul turned this around then to say that he was dependent on Christ, not himself, for his contentment. It was not self-sufficiency, but Christ's sufficiency that made Paul content. And that should be true of us. Someone has said this, contentment has been praised more and practiced less than any other condition of life. Another person observed, all the world lives in two tents, content and discontent. Surely one of the greatest causes of believers' lack of joy, especially in our society, is their lack of contentment. Webster defines the word content as having desires limited to that which one has. No, more, more, more. Here's a good quote. Bless God for what you have and trust trust God for what you want. If we cannot bring our condition to our mind, then we must bring our mind to our condition. If a man is not content in the state he is in, then he will not be content in the state he would be in. So, Paul, again in verse 12 deliberately chose some words, secret and content, which were words commonly used by the Stoics and practitioners of the mystery religions. Those folks talked about mysteries and self-sufficiency. But in contrast to them, Paul spoke of a very different kind of secrecy or secret and sufficiency. So, what secret did Paul know? Well, first of all, Paul knew that all provision comes from God. And the scripture talks about that over and over again. And I'm just, I'm going to let the scripture speak to you. Psalm 104, and these are selected verses from that psalm. And the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He makes springs, pour water into the ravines that flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field, the wild donkeys, 
quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants plants and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens humans' hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. God's provision. Matthew 6, 25-34. Jesus is talking here. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then again, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then later in chapter 4, and Paul is winding things up here because this is the last chapter of Philippians, there is a promise that God will supply all our needs. That's verse 19. So God has promised to provide for us. Now, we don't always get what we think we need in the time we want it. Right? You know, I think about the Israelites in the desert as they traveled through the desert. We're going to starve out here. They were longing for the vegetables that grew in Egypt. God gave them manna. We're sick of manna. We want meat. God gave them quail. We're going to die of thirst. God gave them water from the rock. But guess what? They had to be hungry first. They had to be thirsty first. Paul admitted that there were times when he was hungry, thirsty, cold, But in all of those cases, maybe not in the time or in the way Paul thought, 
God provided. And God, in verse 10, as I mentioned earlier, was providing for him again through the gifts of the Philippians. God provided. God's provision. He is the one who provides for us. The second thing that Paul knew was that contentment is a learned process. That's one of those things that would be nice if God just went, you know, shazam, you've got contentment. But it doesn't happen that way. Paul had to learn contentment, and it did not come natural for him any more than it does for us. We have to go through some stuff. It's the school of contentment. And here's, here's what Paul's school of contentment looked like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Paul's school of contentment. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one because they thought 40 would kill you, so they gave you 39. That was gracious of them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face deadly the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Woo! That's a tough school of contentment. And Paul is not saying here that one day contentment, boom, zapped. He had it. No, it did not come upon him in a moment. It was something he learned through the challenges and difficulties of life in his service to Jesus that he had faced. And all along the way, recognizing God's provision for him. And all those things, he experienced the faithfulness of God. And folks, the same is true of us. We learn contentment through the stuff of life that we go through and recognize God's faithfulness in our lives. Right? And then Paul also knew that it is possible to be content in every situation. If Danny Simpson had known more about guns, he might not have needed to rob the bank. But in 1990, in Ottawa, Canada, this 24-year-old went to jail and his gun went to a museum. He was arrested for robbing a bank of $6,000 and then sent to jail for six years. He'd used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, which turned out to be an antique, made by the Ross Rifle Company, Quebec City, in 1918. The pistol is worth up to (laughs) $100,000. Quite a bit more than Danny had stolen. If he had just known what he carried in his hand, he wouldn't have robbed the bank. In other words, Danny already had what he needed. But many Christians are like Danny. They have Christ, but they don't recognize the value of what they have. They think 
accumulation, more and more money or things or experiences will make them content. But they already have what they need in Jesus. You know, we all have, I think, a hard time differentiating between needs and wants. You know, I think of our grandson. When somebody else has a toy that he wants, he always says, I need that. We kind of say the same thing to God, don't we? Look what they have. I need that. Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things refer to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. Not necessarily all those extras that we tend to want to add on top of that. Jesus was teaching us that if we put our focus on serving him and growing in righteousness, that God will take care of our basic material needs. And in earlier again, in Philippians, Paul had said, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. That's a great thing about Paul. He's honest about where he is, too. I'm still growing in this process. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is, lies behind and straightening forward to what lies ahead, I press Press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it comes down to priorities. It comes down to priorities. What is most important in your life? What is your purpose for being here? See, when our top priority is seeking the kingdom of God, being obedient to the upward call of God on our lives, growing in Christ-likeness, then all the other stuff that can tempt us to discontent loses its attraction for us. When serving God is the most important thing in our lives, then our confidence is in His faithfulness, His provision, and His care. We believe that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, God knows what we need and provides what we need, and that is good enough for us. That is good enough for us. That is good enough for us. And then Paul knew this. Contented living is possible through the power that Jesus gives. Paul had discovered that contentment comes from a trust in our spiritual realities rather than a focus on our physical circumstances. Paul had discovered that contentment comes from a trust in our spiritual realities rather than a focus on our physical circumstances. Paul's contentment was in Christ. It was not conditional upon the circumstances that he faced. He was writing this letter from jail. This was not self-help, by the way, that Paul was practicing. You know, we talk about that. Self-help, you've got it in you. This unlimited human potential. That's not what Paul was talking about. He'd come to know and love Jesus. Jesus was all he needed. 
That was why he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ had strengthened Paul to be content in every circumstance. You know, many religions preach or teach contentment. But the contentment they talk about is not in Jesus. It's not in the gospel. It's not based on knowing and loving God. It's more of this mental exercise. It's kind of something you talk yourself into. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about contentment in Christ. He's talking about sufficiency in Christ. People of faith can sing through tears and pain and struggle because they walk with the one who gives them the strength to do everything that needs to be done, whatever that might be. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem for most of us is that we have a tendency to keep looking for contentment in the wrong places. The devil in the world teaches that contentment comes from the people we know. If we could just hang out with the right people and could just be welcomed into the right social circles, then we would be content. And we're led to believe that contentment comes from the positions we hold. If we could just have the right job or promotion or transfer, then we would be content. And perhaps the biggest lie of all is contentment comes from the possessions you have, but we could just have more money or a nicer car or live in a bigger house or a better neighborhood, then we would be content. Paul had learned something far different than that. He had learned to be content regardless of who he was with or what positions he held or what possessions he had, if he had any at all. Paul reported that there were times in his life and ministry when he had more than enough. And there were other times when he was in need and went hungry. But regardless of his circumstances, good or bad, he had learned that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. That was his secret to contentment. Paul had discovered that there was not a single situation he was called to face where Jesus was not with him and where Jesus was not enough. See, the devil wants us to believe two lies. He wants us to believe that things can make us happy. And he wants us to believe that all we need is found within ourselves. Both of those things are false. And Paul discovered the real source of contentment. Paul had discovered that he was not self-sufficient, but that he could be Christ-sufficient. Paul learned that no matter what might be ahead, Jesus Christ was sufficient to carry him through it. You know what? The powers that be, spiritually or earthly, can take everything away from a person but they cannot take away a person's faith in the unfailing power of God. Trusting in the unfailing power of God brings contentment. Amen. 
We're going to share in communion in just a moment. And if those who will be serving us would go ahead and come forward this time and